1: What's important and what to leave out You've got to take notes, take notes, take notes They don't have to be in a sentence. You can write them in phrases Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Crillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic is taking notes. We're going into a really practical session here and talking about something that doesn't get discussed very often, how to take better notes. So welcome to the Lane system. Uh, I'm going to turn it over and let her describe what it is that she does.
0: Well, I should start out by saying that like, no one ever teaches you how to take notes, right? So I, f- I feel like a hundred different journalists have a hundred different ways of taking notes and photographers have a whole other way of
1: taking notes. And so they take pictures. They, they're
0: smart. <laughs> <laughs> they save time. And I make them give me their pictures. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I think when I started out, you know, I was doing news stories. I was doing two or three stories a day a lot of times. And I was trying to write down like everything everybody said. And I had one of those old little I'm aging myself here, but those little cassette recorders, you know, the micro cassette recorders that I would take, and I started out trying to use those, and I found out that I was much more worried about whether my technology was working, or my batteries were working, or my volume was turned up, or I was paying attention to when the tape had to be switched over, that I couldn't, like, focus on my interview at all. I was too distracted, and I didn't trust myself with the technology enough. I mean, I know we have interns now who just stick their iPhone on the table and, like, go for it, you know, but... I still take longhand notes for everything I do, and my my process has kind of evolved from reporting for news versus reporting for narrative. Although I do think that the notebook uh, diagram I'm going to share could help either one. You know what I mean? Right. Um, I used to use the little skinny notepads because they could fit in your purse really easy. And I still have one in my purse everywhere I go. But I, when I'm taking notes for an interview now, I like to use the big eight and a half by eleven pads. I I I feel like there's like a a system of diagramming that I want to do on the bigger page that I can't do on the little pages. And I also don't like when I'm sitting down to write, especially on deadline, having to flip through 30,000 little tiny pages instead of 30 big pages, you know. So so I use the big notebooks. And we'll put a picture of this up on the, the website because it's kind of hard to like describe something visually, but I'll try. So... The top of my notebook, like the another reason I like the big notepads is because there's big margins on them, you know. <laughs> so you can do other stuff in the margins that aren't part of the note-taking part. Um, so the top margin uh, at the very top of the page, I use the left corner, the left-hand corner, to put down the date and the time. And I, I mark the time every time I flip the page. Um, I started doing that when I was watching a jury selection for a murder trial. I was like, oh, my God, this is taking four hours. And it was really like 40 minutes. (laughs) It just felt like it was forever. So I thought, well, if I have the time and the date on there, I I will always be able to ground myself. And each time I turn the page, I'll know how much time has passed. Um, So that's the first thing I do. And then across the top of the page, um, in the margin up there, I write five senses. And I want to use that to, like, remind myself to, like, see something we always see in here but taste something feel something smell especially smell something um you can forget that you're trying to gather that stuff when you're out on the scene and so if i write that down at the top and make myself fill in the blanks that's like a reminder to myself of like you're building a scene here lane like you're going to need more than just the visual stuff Um, the main body of the notepad is for like the main notes, right? And I used to write down everything everybody said, and that's impossible to do and also suck in the scene, you know. So now I try to listen for really good quotes, um, or ways that people have of saying things. If There's like a certain colloquialism that they use or a certain phrase they repeat, um, or a word that they use that's indicative. I listen for that stuff, and I write it down with like really big, giant quotes around it. So when I go back to write the story, I can find these really good quotes really easily. Um, The rest of the time, I'm writing down what what information am I going to need. Not what they say, but what information are they providing me that I'm going to need for the story. And um, I'm really bad about interrupting people because I feel like for every question I ask, there's like three follow-up questions that I want to ask. And so if you tell me you have a dog, I'm going to stop you in the middle of your story and I'm going to go, what kind of dog? What's its name? Did you rescue the dog? Does he like to swim? Does he like to fetch? And I like, answer all these other questions that that divert the subject from the story that they're telling. So I try now, if I am coming up to the point in their narrative where they're – I I let them drive the bus, first of all. I want my people to have at least the first five or ten minutes to, like, tell me the story. You know, what what do you want to talk about? And while they're doing that, I'm I'm writing down, you know, the information and the quotes. But also, if I find a place I need to go back and ask follow-up questions, I use that left-hand margin, and I make a big arrow that points right at that word. So when you tell me you have a dog, I'm going to not stop you from talking, but I'm going to put an arrow – right next to that line on my notebook, and then I know at the end when I come back, I can say, okay, I have a few follow-up questions, and I can easily flip through my notes and ask them those other details that I know I'm going to need without derailing them from their telling of the story, you know. So that helps a lot. Um, And then the bottom left-hand corner I usually use for numbers. So like, how old are they? How many years have they lived in that house? Uh, what's the cell phone number I can reach you at? Who else should I talk to? And those little reference points are then on the bottom left hand corner. I can find them easily to go back to. So
1: how, when did you get, when did you trade out the small one for the large one? And, and as you traded out, did you then develop this sort of system? Or did you just Did you start adding stuff to this system as you went along?
0: Yeah, I didn't used to write down, you know, what does the light look like? What Mm -hmm. does the wind feel like? What does the carpet look like? What kind of necklace does she have on? I didn't used to pay attention to that stuff until I started doing more narrative stuff. Um, And I think this is weird, but when I was on the Outer Banks and I was in a little bureau, I was writing mostly news stories like – probably an average of 10 a week, but I would also do like a weekender, you know, there would be a cover story for the little tourist magazine or some weekend Sunday pitch. And I know this is going to sound so strange, but I would use the little notepads for my news reporting. And I would use the big notepads for my like feature or cover story or weekend reporting. So I, without even meaning to, I think I realized that there was some value in a different size notepad for the deeper dives I was doing than just taking notes at a meeting, you know, that type of a thing. Um, And I don't think the whole diagram thing, probably after I was working with you even, I was trying to figure out how to transist from news to narrative. And I I think it wasn't until I came down here and I started thinking about, like, I don't have to write down everything everybody says. And if I write down everything everybody says, I'm missing all this other stuff, right? Because if I'm writing down every word you say, I'm forgetting to write about your body language or your expression or what your jewelry looks like or whether whether you've got a manicure or not or all these little things that I'm going to maybe want. I don't know sometimes what details I want, so I try to write down as many as I can and maybe figure out later what to leave in and what to leave out or what's a telling detail versus just a, hey, hmm, Right. Blue hair. Oh, okay. You know, but I, I think lear- learning to listen differently was right in, in tune with learning to take notes differently, if that right. makes sense.
1: Right. Yeah. So whichever one came first, but it helped you to kind of set you free from kind of what you had do- been doing before.
0: Right. Yeah. And, and lear- you know, learning that probably 70% of what people tell you you don't need
1: well, I was you going know? to say, a lot of the time people are yakking at you, but you're really not writing that down. You might be writing down what they're, how they're smiling, or whether they're using their hands or
0: the room or whatever. Right? You're not exactly. I mean, I'm sure they think I'm writing down every wonderful, precious word that they tell me, <laughs> but it's really like, oh, dude, spoiler you need a alert over there. <laughs> Does the big notepad ever
1: put people off? because i would i think i might find it intimidating if you were inter- me, interviewing me with
0: a big notepad. You know, i don't i don't know that it does. I used to use my notepad like a shield. Yeah. Like i would hold it up and take notes in front of me like don't come at me. I'm just the reporter here. And it was literally like i would i've seen photographers do that too where the camera is like the shield, you know, it's like protection. Um but i always have my notepad down. So it's not now now i do when when i'm taking notes with people or even when i'm standing up i have it down instead of up and i think that's a little bit more welcoming and less off-putting.
1: Right. Now, talk pe- talk to people about then. Then you have then you take notes on your notebook, right? That's yeah. part of your process.
0: So each each um... the lane
1: the lane system is complicated. People follow along.
0: <laughs> no, you could do this in the daily. It doesn't have to be for like you an eight-part a- series. <laughs> <laughs> no, I take I take my notes. Um, let's say I have three eight by ten pads full of notes for a story. I'll take those three notepads and each one of them becomes a page. So there's 25 lines on a page. So I can basically pick 25 things out of that notebook that are the most important things. Sometimes it's a quote. Sometimes it's a thought. Sometimes it's a detail. But like, if you stole this notepad from me, what would I have left that I want to include? And that really helps me figure out my priorities, like what's important. Um, and it condenses things from all my scribble scrabble or people's long ramblings. You know, I just have a one line per thought, one line per one line item, you know, for each Thing and then the notepad turns into a page. So then I think the other thing that helped me, I don't know if we've talked about this before in here, but like the, I think the single thing that helped me go from being a reporter to a writer was having my editor take my notes away or telling me to stash my notes in my trunk or in my kitchen or something. And so when I write, I don't write with all my notepads now. I write with those three pages of notes taken on my notepads. Mm-hmm. So instead of flipping through you know 300 pages of notes i've got 3 pages of notes but i really leave the other stuff away a different room literally a different room so that when i'm writing i'm writing the story that's evolving in my head i'm not just piecing together things from my notepad
1: i love that and i th- I, mean, I think that's really smart because you're also you're sort of you're you're reminding yourself of all your reporting and then you're making a choice about what's most important from all of that and then you're sort of setting your free self setting yourself free to let go of the rest of it because I've seen so many reporters over the years just kind of get – they're drowning in their notes. You know, they're looking or uh, really looking to the notes to find the story. And then just, you know, flipping through the pages, like you said, and sort of, oh, yeah, there was a great quote here. Or there there was this, this one thing that I picked up there as opposed to when you – it seems to me like when you walk away and you take notes on your notebook, you're feeling much more empowered about what you have. And you have a, you have a stronger sense about what you have and kind of how we might shape it. And then when you come in and talk to me, we're talking about not three big notepads full of stuff, but like the cream of the crop, right?
0: Yeah, I've already made a lot of those choices, right? you know, and and not all the stuff gets in there, you know, and and I should say, too, in in terms of like process.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: When I'm writing the story without the notes, I'm leaving a blank. You know, I'm not making shit up. Like, can we say shit on a podcast? I don't know. I think we can. (laughs) I'm, I'm not making details up, but I'm putting in a bracket, like a big, bold bracket, like you know, her glasses were bleh, you know, or her her blouse looked like bleh, if I don't remember. And then I do go back through my notes after I've written my draft and fill in those blanks with the specifics. Mm-hmm. So I've always been really scared of, like, writing fiction because I feel like once I start making stuff up, <laughs> it's <laughs> going to be a slippery slope. So even to, like, fill in the blanks of my stories, I don't want to do that. I just want to, like... X, X, X it out with a big bracket around it so I can go back and and put that in.
1: Why do fiction when reality is so, so much more interesting? It is.
0: I swear, three-fourths the stuff I write I couldn't have made up if I tried. (laughs) I do think, like,
1: we, I think we all um, grow into this business with our heads and our notebooks. And we kind of, we get obsessed with, like, I mean, maybe it's a good thing trying to write down as much as you can, but you do end up, you know that you're going to walk away and not use most of what, what you write down. So... I mean, over time, do you feel like you've gotten better at sort of even in the moment seizing what's a good detail and what you can ignore?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I tell to a lot of our interns and young reporters, it gets, it's like anything, it gets so much easier once you've done it after a while. You start keying in on what you're going to need. You don't always know, but you start keying in on, oh, I mean, Quotes are kind of overrated, right? Most, totally. Because most of the time I feel like I could write it better. We're going to get into that in the next podcast. But, yeah. yeah, I could write it better than people say it. So not having to write down everything they say frees you up to, to put your thoughts in there or to put your impressions in there or to put scene details or weather details or whatever in there. And I really highly, highly recommend trying to write without your notes. You know, I think yeah. it also becomes your story, your own story a lot more, your own voice a lot more than just piecing together things you've gathered in the field. You know, and it's so easy to procrastinate. Oh, somewhere in my notepad. Oh, somewhere in this notepad. You know, people, I think it's it's subconscious, but also very conscious sometimes. Like, oh, I'm working so hard. I'm flipping through my notes. But you really have not written a sentence in three hours. And, you know, I think it's much more efficient to, to. I usually say the story out loud. Like, I'll try to tell it to my, my dog or my husband or my friend. You know, I'll be like, hey, I'm writing a story about blah, blah, blah. And if I can tell it in five minutes, I can write it. You know, if I can't get to that point that I can verbally tell you my story, I'm not ready to write it.
1: Well, and so often, and I'm sure every reporter has done that, is you come running back into your editor's office and you're all excited and you're telling the story. And then they go back to their desk and they turn you in a story that doesn't resemble at all what they just told you and what they were excited about. And I think partly that's because they went back through their notes and sank into it. It's like quicksand. And then they, they came back with whatever, something that felt officious or something. But you're right like if you and I don't know for those of you who haven't tried to do it to put the notebook aside and try to write and then and then of course go back and make sure that you're you're telling it accurately but right well, and I
0: think the story's not in the notepad most of the time, right. right? The story's in your head and in your heart, and you gotta somewhere tap into those before you start putting in your fingers on the keyboard, you know. And and I I think that that's also a piece that's often missing is especially when people are on deadline. You go out you gather, 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 and you come back and you type, 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 type. Well, I I worked in a bureau for a long time that was a, an hour or more drive from anything, and I started like turning the radio off. And just sitting in my car as like think tank. And like by the time I would get back to the office, I would know what my lead was because I'd be practicing it in my head while I drove the car. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that that bit of space, whether you're taking an hour-long drive or you're taking a five-minute walk to buy a Diet Coke, that space between reporting and writing is super important.
1: Let's talk a little bit about the side trip. So you're, you're, you're taking notes on a notebook. Somebody is telling you a story and often they'll meander. And so while they're meandering... One, you'll let them meander because you never know whether there's a surprise at the end of the meander, right? But two, while they're meandering, you're doing what? You're taking in all those other things you talked about. You're looking for the sights, the sounds, the smells, and you're writing those in your notebook, right? Exactly.
0: And and the body language and, like, yeah. what people don't answer. I never used to write that down. Like, I ask you a hard question, yeah. you don't answer me. I never used to write down... Refuse to answer or mm-hmm. looks to the ground or crossed and uncrossed her legs or, you know, right. these little tiny movements that show a little bit of nothing, but also something Is that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. How, how and how they tell you the story. Right. Where, where do they pause? Where, the, where do they have inflections? Where can you tell that it's painful? Where do they, you know, slow down, speed up?
0: Um, yeah, I, I used to let people ramble for a little bit because a, like you said, you don't know where it's going to go, but b, it gives me a chance to take a breath and only half listen to what they're saying, so that I'm taking in this other stuff at the same time.
1: And then, you know, you use a lot, obviously, photography when you when you're there with someone or. You take it yourself if you can, but I'm like if you're there with a photographer, you're often asking them for proofs of pictures that you can see, remind yourself of the room and the setting or whatever, right?
0: Yeah, I always have them make me at least like a dozen prints, just like crappy prints, but just stuff I could type up around my cubicle while I type because mm-hmm. I think that's really transportive, you know, and there's always something in the photos that I haven't sucked up from the scene that reminds me of that.
1: And talk a little bit about letting other people in the room, like during interviews, because, uh, again, that was sort of an evolution of yours in terms of of reporting a story.
0: Oh, yeah. I I mean, for I think I've been doing this 30 years for probably the first 20 years, you know, I would want that person all by myself to do the interview. You know, if if I'm sitting you down, I don't want anybody else to distract us. I want me and you, you know, eyeball to eyeball there. Um, But in recent years, I've felt really differently about that. And like, if people want to bring a wingman now, and actually, I got this idea when I was teaching at University of South Florida, because the college kids all wanted to bring a friend along, you know, they, they all can I bring my roommate? Can I bring my boyfriend? Can I? And i was like, No, you just do it on your own, put your big boy pants on and do it, you know, and then I was like, what would it hurt? you know why not bring someone if if your person you're interviewing feels more comfortable having their mother there or their boyfriend there or you know the they going to the, bring their kids cuz they don't be to to them i'm fine with that now like cuz all of a sudden then it opens it up and it's not like reporter asking question you know, subject answering. It's like it gives you a chance for dialogue. It gives you a chance for the other person to go. That's not really how I remember it, Mom. You know, or like they're bullshitting you. What are they talking about? You. Know, they call each other out on stuff, and and they remind each other. Oh, I remember that time when blah blah blah. So I, I actually think. I, I mean, I don't really offer like if you want to bring someone, you can. But if somebody says, "Hey, you know, I got someone staying with me," I got my whatever. I'm like, fine, sure, bring them along. You know, or better yet, I'll come to you. You know, I mean, that's another thing I think. I've never in 30-something years done an interview at the newspaper office. You know, I've never had anybody come to me. And I've never said, let's meet at this place. I've said, where would you like to meet, you know? And I want, if it's not your bedroom, dude, I want to be on your front porch. If it's not your front porch, take me to your coffee house, like somewhere where you're comfortable. That's your world. Because then that setting, even the setting tells you something about that person. You know what I mean?
1: Um, So I just thought we'd take take us to sort of reporting for narrative because you're talking about, too, like you're talking about interviews where you're sitting down with someone and you might be sitting there and taking them through a story and some part of their life. Oftentimes, you're reporting for something, some action, something, some you're in a scene, you're watching someone's journey. And it's so much easier and effective to not interrupt that and then interview them either beforehand or after or both but not try to do both. I mean, I'm sure you've had to do both at times, but um, talk a little bit about the advantage of just being the fly on the wall when you get the chance to be the fly on the wall and not being that person asking a gazillion questions.
0: Okay, and our producer's going to laugh at me when I say this, but actually photographers have helped in terms of, like, making me shut up. (laughs) Because when you're doing videos and, and, you know, documentary uh, photography along with it, you can't just sit there and... and I want to have a conversation. You know, I really don't want to interview anybody. I love having a conversation. And when it gets to the point that we're sharing stuff and I'm going on the side for a minute, you know, I'm like, yes, this is great, but that doesn't work on camera. And I've been spent <laughs> by photographers. And so... You know, not literally. Yeah. <laughs> glared at. I'm a glared at. <laughs> I, I roll that. Um, but no, I think it has taught me to listen uh, better and to, to not interrupt as much. And it also has helped me really uh, understand the value of two parts of the process. You know, I, Even if I only have a couple hours, I, I'd like to spend half of it watching you do what you do and being a fly on the wall and observ- uh, being an observational journalist and the other half interviewing you. And it's hard to crisscross them, you know. Yeah. The, um, the, only, the only times that really works really well is when, when you're on a journey with someone, like if you're taking a car ride with someone or you're riding in a train with someone or you're on a walk with someone where your, your journey is your action, but you can talk to them along the way because that's not going to change it. You know? Right, right, yeah. But, but even then I find sometimes I want to go, like, what were you thinking about? Well, if I was talking to you, you weren't thinking about anything other than me talking to you. So if I want someone to be, like, reflective or introspective, I have to shut the hell up, you know?
1: And you have to be patient and be quiet all the time to sort of let them Absolutely.
0: fill in the the air. And that does help going back to the note-taking. It helps a lot to have those arrows there because then I don't feel like I'm going to forget it, like, it reminds me to go back and gives me that peace of mind of like, oh, I'll find out what kind of dog it was eventually, you mm-hmm. know. <laughs> so what do you do with the people
1: who really, um, you know, they just wander a lot? Do you ever feel the need to draw them back? Are they, you know, verbally wander, I should say, I guess.
0: Some, I mean – Sometimes I, my first uh, my first line of defense is I stop taking notes, <laughs> and I hope <laughs> maybe they'll notice that what they're saying I'm not writing down anymore. Oh, you know. she's bored. <laughs> that usually takes a while because I, I have a bunch of other stuff I want to write down while they are talking. So they'll, they'll get a little five ten minute ramble in there before I'll pull them back. You know, but I mean often it's just real gentle, like okay wait a minute can we go back to this you know or my editor's waiting for me <laughs> I have three more questions. <laughs> I blame a lot of things on my editor. Yes, you know, I know. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that works, too, when you have a really hard question <laughs> that you don't want to ask. You could be like, I, I am so, so sorry. I have to ask this. I don't want to ask you this question. I, am, I apologize ahead of time for asking this question, but my editor's making me.
1: <laughs> that could be a whole other podcast. Blame your editor. <laughs> my editor made me do it. <laughs> There's the advice. Okay, if you have questions for Lane about this topic, and like she said, we're, we'll put a picture of the notebook up with the podcast so you can, you can visualize it all. Um, or if you have any questions about her stories, uh, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next episode. This podcast was produced by Monica Herndon. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening.